Welcome to the documentary from the BBC World Service, where we report the world, however difficult the issue, however hard to reach. Podcasts from the BBC World Service are supported by advertising. In a world that doesn't pause, catching up isn't enough. The Financial Times keeps you one step ahead in your life and career. With breaking news, detailed analysis and a deep understanding of the global economy. Don't just keep pace, set the pace. Fearlessly Pink. The Financial Times. Read more at ft.com slash fearless. If you want to make a change this year, check out How to Be a Better Human, a podcast from TED. I'm Chris Duffy. I'm a comedian, and each week on How to Be a Better Human, I sit down to have an honest and hopefully funny and revealing conversation with an expert who can help us to see the world in a new way. This season, we're diving into everything from how you can love better to how to create habits that stick to how to have hope in a world and at a time where that feels really challenging. You can find all those topics and so many more on episodes of How to Be a Better Human, wherever you get your podcasts. Bring the world closer with podcasts from the BBC World Service. Unmissable stories from around the globe. Whoa. Search for the documentary, Lives Less Ordinary, and Amazing Sports Stories, wherever you get your BBC podcasts. You better be ready, because we're going to bring it to you. Welcome to the documentary in the studio from the BBC World Service, the programme that explores the creative process. I'm Sue Mitchell, and in this programme, I'll be finding out what it's like as a filmmaker to cover the issue of homelessness in one of the wealthiest parts of the world. How do people find new ways of documenting a problem that only seems to be getting worse? It's a question that was on my mind when I started recording a 10-part series for the BBC in the American state of California. There are more homeless people in California than anywhere else in America. Around 200,000 people, many of them living in tents, cars or on the streets. And that series I mentioned is called Intrigue, Million Dollar Lover. Recording it took me to some of the most deprived wastelands imaginable. And it also made me curious about how others are covering what's happening here. My recordings gave glimpses of the struggles the homeless face, but these were set aside an intriguing love story. The filmmaker, Leonard Manzella, has attempted something altogether different for his documentary, Shine Caddy. It's filmed in California, in the small university town of San Luis Obispo, which until fairly recently wasn't known for having much of a problem with homelessness. And when I decided to do this film, I did not want to do a film on the homeless problem. There's been wonderful films done. and you know, I wanted to do it on a man, one person, and try to humanize it as much as I could. And that's that's the, an interesting thing. How do you choose one person out of a sea of homelessness? What, well, what happened is, you know, I, I'd worked with them. I'm a social worker and a psychotherapist. This is my office. I have a practice. I'm kind of known for working with violent men, angry men. And, and I've been, so I worked in the prisons. 
worked in juvenile halls, county jails, so I'm kind of doing that. And I was walking to work one day, and I saw this red apron way off in the distance in front of the courthouse. And I went, what's that? As I got closer, I saw this this handsome guy with his bowler hat and his vest and tie and his shoes. And I thought, who the hell is that? African-American guy, probably in his 60s. For the last 30 years, Leonard's been working as a family therapist in San Luis Obispo. But in his early career, he was a well-known actor. And that man he spotted in the bright red apron is Adrian, who turned out to be polishing shoes for a living. I went to meet him to find out more. My name is Adrian Spears, uh, 60 years old, and uh, I shine shoes. What do you think when Leonard first suggested making the movie on you? When he said that, I said, sure. Plus, I knew I was going to get some exposure or whatever. Because I like getting, you know, put it this way, you don't know a woman that likes to play dress up more than me. <laughs> I love to get dressed up. Adrian's been in and out of prison for most of his life. He's wrestled with addiction. Last time I got in trouble, I went to prison and I was there for six years and eight months. So I told myself, you better come up with something. You know, if I was to go back again on a felony, it would be other shoot a long time. By day, he's impeccably turned out. And there's a steady stream of people waiting to have their shoes shine. Uh, shoe shine? They look <laughs> he keeps his clothes in a storage unit and presses his shirts every morning. To look at him, you'd never guess that he had nowhere to live and was sleeping rough at night. <laughs> like what I'm going to wear today? I knew I was going to wear this two days ago. Yeah. Yeah. Like right now, I got on some two-tone Stacey Adams. They, they're... Uh, navy blue and, and tan. They look really well polished. Of course, they better be. And I got on some tan slacks, and I got on a brown, uh, like a white and dark brown, pinstripe French cuff shirt, actually, because I always wear cufflinks. That's my trademark. I don't wear regular shirts. That's a no-no. And then I have on a smock, and it says Shoe Shine Caddy on it, on the back, and my name Adrian on the. Got your name on the front. On the front. And I just went by and just said, wow, that's cool. And I saw him, you know, for several days walking to work. And one day I stopped and had my shoe shine. So I was kind of curious, is he homeless, is he not? And I picked up that he was homeless, but he was very formal, very businesslike. He was friendly, but he wasn't like pushing the envelope or anything and looking for more. You know, he just shined my shoes. I paid him and I left. I thought, God, what an interesting guy. And of course, curiosity. You know, you always, you see a homeless guy. How would I do if I were on the street? And. So I watched this guy for three or four months, and then I came by, and I, I dropped him five pairs of shoes. I said, can you do these? Yeah, oh, yeah, they'll be ready by five. I came by by five. They were perfect. Paid him. And I kept thinking, God, what a story that would be. But, you know, you do 10 minutes, 15 minutes, and, and well, yeah, he's no story. So probably another good day, because I followed him for about a year before I decided to do a documentary. And uh, he was a little down and out. I said, hey, what's going on, Adrian? He said, eh, i got some problems. I said, what? He said, well, I'm fighting for custody of my three-year-old. Boing, that's it. There's my story. Adrian's fight to get custody of his little girl gave the movie a structure and a purpose. That's my daughter right there. Let me get a better picture. I'll get a real picture of her. She was, uh, I was 57, and her mother was 27. It was the craziest thing. I was in a homeless shelter. And I met her, and the craziest thing, I've had a lot of younger ladies that they just want to be, they just think I'm a cool old guy, so they just want to be my friend, but nothing else. Just, that's it. 
So I thought that was what the case with her. And then she just caught me totally, completely off guard. And she said, are you going to give me something for my birthday? I said, what? We went and got a room. We was only together that one time and had my daughter. It had a DNA test in there. No, that's my daughter. So I thought about it, and, you know, it was a big deal because I, I was in the film industry for years. That's how I earned a living. I lived in Europe for, you know, 18 years and was in the Italian film business. So I, I know that whole thing. But I was sure the camera loved him. You know, I knew that. You can see why. Adrian's got style and charisma. When you stand with him for any length of time, he plays music and starts to sway. Part of my, I guess, what's that word, my stick, mm-hmm. would be uh, I have a Bluetooth that I play old school music, you know, like uh, Ella Fitzgerald, Dean Martin, Aretha Franklin, Ray Charles, Mel Torme, you know, the good old stuff. Uh, a lot of people like that. Some people play golf on the weekends. I hunt con artists. Unmissable podcasts from the BBC World Service. Are County Mayo a great team blighted by mystical forces we can't comprehend? I believe in the curse. I think it's real. Telling stories from around the globe. Every minute there's bombing and shelling. There is no safety. If I get any internet connection, I'll talk to you again. Search for Lives Less Ordinary, Amazing Sports Stories, and The Documentary. Wherever you get your BBC podcasts. You better be ready, because we're going to bring it to you. In a digital world that demands your attention, it can be challenging to build your own worldview. The Financial Times brings you rigorous and independent global journalism, so you can see more angles and find time to think for yourself. Don't jump to conclusions. Read to them instead. Fearlessly Pink. Financial Times. Read more at ft.com slash fearless. If you want to make a change this year, check out How to Be a Better Human, a podcast from TED. I'm Chris Duffy. I'm a comedian. And each week on How to Be a Better Human, I sit down to have an honest and hopefully funny and revealing conversation with an expert who can help us to see the world in a new way. This season, we're diving into everything from how you can love better to how to create habits that stick to how to have hope in a world and at a time where that feels really challenging. You can find all those topics and so many more on episodes of How to Be a Better Human, wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the documentary in the studio from the BBC World Service. And I'd approached him after that. I said, what would you think about me doing a documentary on you? And he went, wow, that might give me a lot of exposure. You know, that would be that would be cool. Yeah, I'd like that. I said, well, you know, it means I'm going to have my head up your exposure ass. Exposure can be a double-edged sword. Yeah, yeah. I'm I gonna, mean, exposing, I'm, yeah, exactly. exposing yourself to the world I when said, you're I'm living that up, kind of life is... My head up your butt for a long time. He said, that's okay. I want to know every move you make and every I'm going to be with you. It was interesting how you did it. You, you had no sort of on-screen presence yourself. I'm really a fan of neorealism because my film career, I had a long film career in Italy and, and I'm very, I love the French New Wave and I just love cinema verite. I want, and it was very influenced by a film called Umberto D by Victoria De Sica. And, uh, and it was just, he followed this homeless guy. And it was, a, it was a narrative, it was a feature, but I just loved the style. And what I wanted to do, I just tell the story by following the person and just see if this works. And so, but I got to tell you, it was long, tedious. You know, you would, you would shoot, you know, hours and hours and hours for 90 seconds. 
It's worth pointing out that Leonard hadn't even been thinking about making a movie before he met Adrian. He had to bring in some help and underwrite the whole venture himself. And he had to dig deep for the patience needed to track Adrian's journey through the welfare systems. To stand any chance of getting his daughter, Adrian needed to find somewhere to live and to convince the courts that he could care for Calypso, a girl he'd only really spoken to by phone. She just turned three uh, last month. So I'm presently doing a, a case plan. I ain't missed a beat and I did everything I'm supposed to do. So y'all wish me luck and pray for me because I'm going to get my little girl. Her name's Calypso. So I can go ahead and file a writ. So what's she saying? That she's going to let them adopt my, my daughter? Not yet. She's got the hearing for that today. Hello, my name is Adrian Spears. Do you guys take Section 8 vouchers? Oh, it depends, you know. I guess, yeah, we'll, we'll be open to it. That was really the thing, that, that the idea of the daughter was some something that just kept him alive. It kept him, you know. And, and you think about all of us. All of us need something that is like the spark. And that was the spark, especially if you're homeless. You've got, you know, what do you've got? You know, so this really kept him alive. I love you, boo-boo. Are you still playing hide-and-go-seek? Daddy, have to go to work, okay? Bye, baby. Bye, I love you. I love you. You love me back? Uh, that made my day. You know how you play music in the background? Well, remember the song, Isn't She Lovely? Isn't she... Lo- I would love to play that when I get my little daughter. I mean, Adrian was trying to get custody of Calypso. Yeah. You must have had your own reservations seeing, having seen his life. Say that process had played out and he'd actually got nighttime visitation or Calypso was coming here for extended stays or even to live... Would you have felt there was a moral responsibility on you at some point to say to intervene in this and say to the authorities, well, you know, from what I've seen of his life, that maybe isn't a good world for a child to be in? I felt like I can't get involved in that. I have to remain an observer, and I, I know the system. I'm a social worker. I've been to court, and I, I knew there was no way in hell he was getting the kid. There was no way. She'd been in foster care for two years with a solid... You know, there was no way any judge was going to give uh, this child to a man who born out of a one-night stand, and now he wants to do the right thing. So I kind of was confident about that. But if it had happened, I I couldn't, have, I didn't even imagine it happening because I talked with some high people up in social services, and they learned there's no way that this guy's getting it. And I was more worried about if he would go off the deep end when he realized it. So I kept planting seeds that, you know, that she's so lucky and maybe this is a good thing and he would just get livid. He would sometimes really get get upset. I said, hey, I'm just, you know, just talking, so let's not talk about this anymore. Let's just go on. So I, I was always dancing that kind of... And then finally, all of what we, 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 we talked with him, you know, about, that finally after, you know, that whole thing where he dropped out and... He thought about it and came back and said, you know, I know I need to leave her with those people. He came to that on his own after many seeds planting, after all these experiences. And then after realizing finally that, how could I really do this? But it took him a while to get there. A lot of the movie was about your struggle to try and get your daughter and try and get full-time care of her. And obviously it ended up with you not being able to do that. Did you feel like really you were in a position to give her a good home? I mean, you were I didn't home. feel that I was anyway. Well, because it was so frustrating trying to get a place. And even though I got a place, the place that I have where you have a roommate, 
they wasn't going to go for that anyway. They still wasn't going to let me have her. Yeah. I, don't, I don't, you know. I, I believe, I do believe I'm going to see her again. The only thing I got to do is live long enough. Once she gets, like, 12 and 13 and all that, she's going to be looking, she's going to be asking about me and looking for me. That staying alive bit is so much harder for the homeless. And one of the saddest moments in the movie comes from the realisation that Daniel, who was with Adrian in opening scenes, has died. It hits home just how deadly the lack of affordable health care and really any sort of care can be. I wanted to film more you know, of him because he was really interesting and I wanted to film more. I knew where he, he slept down by the, the old homeless shelter. I thought I'd follow him to work. You know, I had all this... Your mind's spinning all the time how you're going to... what you're going to shoot and it didn't turn out. Yeah. I thought it was all the more powerful for that, actually. I think it was really powerful yeah. yes. that you only actually saw that bit of him That's and right. that your focus never yes. wavered from Adrian. Yeah. And then at the beginning, at the beginning, when he's shining shoes at the very beginning, you see Daniel under... The, but you, you don't really notice him, but then it ties in. I went, oh, my God, I, I had to fish for this stuff to try to... Fit. His presence, but he's there in the back. And so it was... Uh, but it, it, I had the footage. I just had to go find it because there was such a ton of it, you know, and, to tr- and then to try to... Let the images tell the story. It was sad in the film, I thought, that one of the homeless guys who was here with you... Oh, and guess what? ...died. His name is Daniel. It was hard, but... How many times would you go and see him, say? Like, how would it work? Would you sort of phone him and say, I'm coming down to see you? Yes. Or how would it work? Yeah. I would phone him, and then, oh, my God, he's lost so many phones. I don't know how many phones I bought. <laughs> because I had to get all of him. You know, go down and get him a new service, and you know, so I had to do that, and I had to, you know, help him out, you know, sometimes, and just to try to make sure he was okay, and and uh, yeah, so it was. I really had to, you know, because I had an investment too at that point. I was just really trying to keep this guy afloat too, so we could, you know, finish the story and help him tell his story, and and again, never knowing, you know, what the hell's going to come out of this, but we just kept going. But yeah, I, I was on it a lot. I suppose given your training, you'd have been very aware of the sort of risk that, of his drinking and how he might easily slip back, because that's such a hard thing, especially when you're homeless, to sort of yeah. control. I know in the film he says he's been dry since October. He'd been dry since I knew him. I met him, he was dry, and he talked about that being a big part of it. And then the night we were going to go, he hadn't seen his mom for like a long time. He was going to go to his mom's house. That night, we were, we were scheduled to pick him up, and we were going to drive to Santa Barbara and to go do shoot his mom. He disappeared that night, and I'm ringing and ringing and ringing and ringing, and I'm like, oh, God, I'm like livid. I'm just, just upset. I don't know what to do. So finally, you know, like 2 in the morning, he calls me, ah, hey, you know, and, and I, I said, he said, I'll, I'll meet me by the library. It's six in the morning and I'll be there I promise I said boy you can't do anyway I showed up I got out of the car I was so angry I said sit down I put the camera on him and that's the shot of him talking about being homeless I said talk I want to know what you did last night I wondered that about going to see the mom because that must have been quite a difficult scene to be involved in for you to be there filming it I mean obviously they hadn't had any contact and uh you yeah. got a real sense from her that it was a very, very strained relationship full of lots of unresolved and probably unspoken issues. Yeah. Yeah. What was that like to sort of sit in on that reunion? As You know, it was. I was just so set up with uh, the logistics of shooting 
I did. I had no idea what was going to come out. I just had to trust that she said it was okay. He said it was okay, and the uh, Gail was going to be there. And I just really set the cameras up and just went, okay. I hope something happens. And I just had to fish through it. But I didn't to, to say I. It, it was easy for me, and you know, I've also you know been around cameras and film and people, and and I just trust they're going to do what they're going to do. You know, you know, I had no expectations. I started out with really no expectations. I just had to expect whatever's going to come. I think that's probably the right, only frame of mind you could ever yes. film of something of this nature. Yeah. I think you'd have to have no expectations. And, and, and that you allow whatever happens, happens. Because if you're trying to force something, too, uh, you get in the way. Mm. And so, I, yeah, it was a trusting thing. And that, that it, it turned out nice. It was a leap of faith to begin filming, but perhaps not that extraordinary given Leonard's past. He was in Italy in the 1960s when a chance meeting with the American actor Brett Halsey led to roles in the burgeoning spaghetti western scene. Later, he tried Hollywood and appeared in Charlie's Angels and a couple of thrillers, but he said the magic had gone and he decided to switch careers and train as a therapist. His decision to film Adrian drew him back to his past and he says it taught him a lot. I did, you know, I had a, a really, I was so fortunate. At 21, I got to Italy and I, and I I had a film career there. I starred in 30 movies and I had spaghetti westerns and cop movies and love stories. And I got to work with some of the greatest, some of the worst. And so I've had, I don't need my name on another movie or I just, in fact, I'm not even going to try to sell this film. I'm going to use this film exclusively for trying to raise money for the homeless. We're trying to capture that that spirit of the person, that that something that that beautiful part of someone, and so I just kept going, and we, we lost him once. He disappeared, and then and so then, you, you literally couldn't find him. I know couldn't his mom was him. He wouldn't answer you. his phone. Yeah. Wouldn't answer, you know. And I finally got in contact with him. He called me, and I thought, you know, he sh- showed up again, and and I thought, oh God, do I want to? What am I going to do? I'll, I'll take the camera. That was on 4th of July, a holiday. I'm laying in bed. Oh, I should go. I don't want to go. Oh, no, I don't want to get your butt up and go. And I just put the camera on. What do you think about it? And all this stuff came out. So it was just, it was strange it, 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 how it happened. Because in a way, I suppose making that kind of film, you can't have demarcation about your own time, can you? Because in a way, no. it's the, the light, Adrian's life is fluid. And I realized that the, the relationship between the subject and the... Uh, he opened up for me because we had built this that year that I'd followed him and talked to him and cared. He knew I cared. And for Adrian too, the experience of making the movie has led to big changes. He finally found somewhere to live, access to a clean space and running hot water. I've been now off the street since uh, February. Oh, yeah, I moved in on Valentine's Day. Did you? Last year. Yeah, best girlfriend I ever got. I love the part where... I go take my bath, and I go uh, run my bath water, get my bubble bath stuff going, put on my music, get my <coughs> cigarette, and smoke it. That's right. And not this kind either. I think the, the empowering thing was really that I cared, that people were caring about him enough to want to know his story. I mean, I realized, and this is what, you know, the beginning, everyone has a story if we care to listen. 
And the fact that I really cared about him, I think, was such an empowering thing for him. And that why should I care about him? He wasn't even caring about himself. And so suddenly he started to discover something. And I, th- I think that that's, that was a really big part of it. And the housing thing, that just happened. It was just really out of no, because he had been trying and trying and trying. And just, my gosh, it happened like that. The movie's been showing at festivals in America and the UK, but there are no immediate plans for wider distribution. And Leonard's giving the money raised to charity. In San Luis Obispo, it's still showing to packed audiences. Thank you, guys. <laughs> so are you still too shiny? Oh, yeah. I was, uh, I was just there yesterday. Where? Where are you going? I'm on the corner of Higuera and Garden. Right oh, wonderful. Um, thank you, guys. May I take your photograph before I have to go? You want to take it in here? Because I'm going out. In the, it, okay. It would be better. This is what's nice, that, that the reaction of this film, so many people, is you've changed my way of looking at the homeless. Because I, I really didn't want to preach. I didn't want to beat anybody over the head. I just want you to check this guy out, and then you, you take what you're going to take from the film. Yeah, but I've, the reactions have been, I couldn't have asked for more. Do you think it's changed his life much, having the film made about him? It has. It has, because people, they respect you know, he's just not a guy shiny shoes. He has a story. You know, he has a life. He's a real person. It was very touching to me. And, you know, I, I've, I've worked with kids in the foster system and um, with families that have lost custody of their kids. And I just know, I mean, I, I can feel the depth of his intention. But he didn't have the resources, you know, yeah. to to take a child and it's just it's it just it tears my heart everyone has a story you know what was it like for you when everyone started clapping at the end of it and- well i could hear the crowd you know when you know, they said oh or yay or you know and i could see that they actually liked it you know so it was fun it's different do you feel he captured your life do you feel i like think he, i think he did because so many i've had so many people that said they like it i can't believe it all the time I may be back tomorrow in a uh, set of Osquad shoes. Different pair of shoes. <laughs> Thank you. These people here, I love this place. <laughs> I ain't going. I ain't going no damn way. <laughs> Thank you very much, sir. You have a good. Let me. That was a nice that, tip. You, well, you came at a good time too. Yeah. Right when I was actually doing something. Doing your job. Doing my job. Yeah. And you're sort of. Do you think you're earning good money now on the street here? Because you've got somewhere to live at long last. Well, not yet, not as much as I would like to, but since I've moved to Atascadero, something new that I'm going to be doing is oil and clean saddles now. Oh, right. Okay. And that's, that's no less than 100. Don't even talk to me. And it might cost more. But in other words, if you don't have $100, I ain't, I ain't going to look at the saddle. We can't even talk about it or discuss it. So, so that's a little offshoot you've got going now, yeah, isn't yeah. it? It's a movie. You've gone from shoes to saddles. <laughs> and then I could just do, you know, because I'll still do the shoes too, but, I mean, that's just an add-on. What's going to be the next project then? <laughs> you know, I, they asked me that at the screening, so I told them that if you know somebody who has um, uh, a million and a half dollars that they want to throw away, I have an incredible screenplay that I want to do about a play. I produced a play in Los Angeles about 10 years ago called Cages about men in prison that I I did psychotherapy groups with. And they were all in these cages the size of phone booths. And I would do these psychotherapy groups. 
and they were in administrative segregation, the whole. And it it was a quite successful play, and I would I would do that as a film, but otherwise I'm not interested in you know. I'm not. Well, hopefully it'll do some good. Yeah, because when it gets to the audience, mm. this is interesting because you know I've submitted this to a lot of big festivals. And I realized, and I and talking to my friend here, who's a distributor, who uh, owns the Palm, telling me about dis- distribution now, is that there's such a gap between the gatekeepers, which are distributors, the people judging film festivals, and the audience. This film just hits audiences. It really, they just resonate with it. The gatekeepers... They don't get it. It's not what they normally see. And so there's this, there's this interesting... So all I'm interested in is getting it to people who appreciate it. Well, I think it's sort of, a, even at the most basic level, it takes you into one man's life. And in hearing his life, you kind of hear so many of the problems in society that it's a sort of good lesson in... And it's about this guy who never gives up. My friend, I got a friend of mine who's a sound designer who won two Oscars. He won one for Mad Max. He did the sound on that. And he just did Dune. He said, I relate to this guy. So he said, I relate to his struggle. So it's about the struggle of a man, of a person struggling to try to make it. We're all struggling trying to make it, right? Trying to get a job, trying to do, you know, trying. This is, this is what I think is the universality of the story, too. It's about this man who's homeless and we humanize that, but it's also a struggle that we all face, you know? And it's, it's, I, I think, lucked out that, that that really came through. You've been listening to the documentary In the Studio from the BBC World Service. I'm Sue Mitchell, and if you want to hear more about the series I was making that inspired this programme, you can listen to Intrigue, Million Dollar Lover on BBC Sounds or wherever you get your podcasts. In a world that doesn't pause, catching up isn't enough. The Financial Times keeps you one step ahead in your life and career. With breaking news, detailed analysis, and a deep understanding of the global economy. Don't just keep pace, set the pace. Fearlessly Pink. The Financial Times. Read more at ft.com slash fearless. If you want to make a change this year, check out How to Be a Better Human, a podcast from TED. I'm Chris Duffy. I'm a comedian, and each week on How to Be a Better Human, I sit down to have an honest and hopefully funny and revealing conversation with an expert who can help us to see the world in a new way. This season, we're diving into everything from how you can love better, to how to create habits that stick, to how to have hope in a world and at a time where that feels really challenging. You can find all those topics and so many more on episodes of How to Be a Better Human, wherever you get your podcasts. (laughs) 